Welcome to the fourth episode of Media Jungle. I'm joined by Mosh Wanunu, the smartest man on Instagram and president of Mo Digital. Also joined by Brian Morrissey, the digital media guru, and check him out at the Rebooting Newsletter. Omicron variant. Scientists say we won't know anything about it for a few weeks, but what's better for ratings than another mutation? It's called the Omicron. The Omicron. 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 New COVID strain is raising alarms around the world. Travel chaos as countries around the world race to shut out the Omicron variant. Well, the variant is spreading alarmingly quickly. The global markets plunged when the news broke. Uh, more lockdowns again, new lockdowns, more mandates. Does this ever end? Or for the Fox world, another conspiracy theory. We can't fix the supply chain problem until the pandemic is over, until COVID is over. And now we see these new variants. Count on a variant about every October, every two <laughs> years. Oh, I think that, yep. You know, you're probably right. And with the elections coming up, the politicians need to talk to both worlds. Here's the rules. When on Fox, vaccines are a hoax. Natural immunity gives you 27 times more protection against future COVID infection than a vaccination. And so we need to take all of the science into account and not selectively choosing what science to follow. And when on CNN. I've been a proponent of vaccinations and, and wearing masks when we need to. And we had the Delta variant raging in South Carolina. I wrote an op-ed to my community. And I've worked with our State Department of Health. I've run ads encouraging uh, my district to go and get vaccinated. And when we have these variants and we have these spikes to take every precaution from washing our hands to wearing the N95 or KN95 masks. And that was the same day. She didn't even change her T-shirt. Meanwhile, at CNN, Chris Cuomo was suspended for helping his brother, Andrew Cuomo, craft a defense against sexual assault allegations. Welcome to the Media Jungle. You're a former TV news exec. Uh, what do you think about this coverage of this new strain? Well, uh, they were looking for some headlines and trying to bring in some viewers uh, this year, and they certainly have found a way to do it. Um, I was hoping, uh, having spent years in this profession, that uh, the news networks would try to heed some of the lessons from the last year and a half and approach this new variant, given all that we know and don't know about it in a much more responsible way. So just watching, you know, your mashup there and seeing like travel chaos, it's just so beyond belief. And unfortunately, I feel like, yes, there are certainly concerns about a new variant. At the same time, couched in every single medical professional who being interviewed was we don't know it could be better. It could be worse. We just don't know. And the media chose to focus on the worst because you get the clicks and you bring the viewers. But at a time where we've already lost trust among news consumers, it's coverage like this that I feel like will only, especially if, as it turns out, Omicron is Omicron is whatever we call it, is not as Omnicom bad. here in the advertising and media world. <laughs> Omnicom, the Omnicom variant. Um, you're going to end up having the effect that meteorologists have when the storm isn't as bad as they say it was going to be. So when the bad variant eventually comes, I think we have 11 letters left of the Greek alphabet 
let's say Zeta, um, that, uh, that ultimately people won't listen at that point. So I, that worries me. Yeah. And for background, CNN's ratings is like down 70% since Trump left office. All of the cable news outlets uh, ratings are super down. So they're just basically really need something to get the eyeballs. Absolutely. I mean, typically you see election years are the years where you see ratings bonanzas because people are tuned in. Advertisers are buying top dollar ads. And so those trying to be big years, these off odd years. Um, are a challenge for news networks when it comes to ratings. At the same time, you know, you, they're kind of, um, you know, the, you're not sure sometimes if you're watching an SNL segment or the actual cable news, given the way that they've covered this thing. And so I just, I think there's a way to appropriately cover these things. Uh, and it's one of the reasons that the traditional media continue to lose uh, consumers out there to non-traditional media outlets because they don't trust this coverage anymore, you know? Yeah. Brian, what, what do you, what's your take? Yeah. I mean, just to go on what Moshe was saying, I definitely am getting flashbacks to like the net, the last like mega storm or something. And I think the, you know, this is like a feature and not a bug in many ways of cable news um, because, yeah, they run the same playbook for whatever um, is the, the next like crisis. And, you know, the, the challenge is, you know, Omicron is like a, could be a very serious thing, but we don't know yet. It could actually be a lot weaker and this could be an important step in, in getting out of this. But when you go to the same playbook, you know, you've got, okay, well, we got to get like uh, shots of, of people getting the vaccine. Then we get, we need to get like, you know, is anyone hoarding toilet paper yet and stuff like this. And yeah, I think the end result is a lot of times people will tune out. And so like, like Moshe was saying, like this could be, you know, a really big one, but it ends up having like a numbing effect, particularly since we're almost two years into this. And we all remember, I think we're all getting flashbacks to like February, 2020, oh, when no. like CNN was like parading out like the doctors in their white coats, which I never understood. I'm like, why are you wearing your like lab coat, like in a TV studio? <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe they're not doing that anymore, but I'm definitely getting flashbacks. I think ultimately news serves an important function society, right? That ultimately they have access as journalists, as journalists, we know this, we have access to policymakers. We have access to, you know, people, the experts out there. It's our profession and it's our job to serve the public good and keep the public safe and make them aware of the category five hurricane that is out of their way, or in this case, a new variant. I think there's also a way to do it in a responsible way that unfortunately um, eventually doesn't rate, right? It's not as teasy in terms of the language that you're using, like this could be it, you know? But at the same time, like it, you know, if it has a numbing effect, then ultimately what purpose is it serving? And at worst it's, you know, ah, I'm gonna have to go get some paper, bounty paper towels, which I couldn't find for like four months in 2020. <laughs> Because, you know, if CNN could use this for a few more days. I think the other thing that's interesting, too, is when these things come up, it just feeds into everyone's, like, narrative. I know that's always um, overused. But, you know, Fox has established its own sort of lane on this, CNN its own. And no matter what happens, it's just it's just confirmation of whatever bias that um, the outlet has. You know, if you're... If you're the hypervigilant, you know, masks on at all times, hey, I'm definitely locked down curious. Let's go back. 
you know, this is another confirmation. If you're Fox, it's a, it's a confirmation that that this thing that the the scientists are run amok and like you know it's some kind of like public health authoritarian regime. Like it, it fits for everyone's narrative. Yeah, and it's funny uh, doing this show. Sometimes I Google media news in Google, and the funniest thing is it's all Fox stories. So they're almost becoming the like media critics. Uh, in their coverage, what do you what do you think of this whole thing where it's like the politicians saying one thing for one network and another thing for the other? They're just catering to the audience most. What is this? Just I mean, what happens, or is this a Fox News specific thing? Well, I was going to say the idea that politicians speak out of both sides of their mouth is a tale as old as time. You know, typically it's you say one thing in Washington. You say one thing to one party, you say something to your constituents, you say something to a business that's trying to donate to you. Um, so if you're a good politician, you have the ability to um, cater your message to a specific audience. As far as politicians going on uh, various media outlets and having a different message, that's probably a, a newer phenomenon, at least with this partisan press, but partisan press goes back to, I mean, if anyone recalls, well, we wouldn't personally, but Historically, if you look back at the newsletters that Jeff Thomas Jefferson and Alexander Hamilton would publish against each other, we've had partisan press for a long time and politicians, you know, saying multiple messages. But also to be fair, like I watched the um, the press conference that um, Biden gave, like with with Fauci as a supporting actor. In in talking about Omicron, they just talked vaccines, 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 because that was clearly yeah. the talking point they wanted to get. And you know, if you're looking at this. You have to talk about the therapeutics. You have to talk about the new like COVID pills coming online. You have to talk about monoclonal antibodies and stuff. But they chose not to. They yeah. really didn't. Like when talking about why we're in so so much better position uh, for this, whatever this ends up becoming, the fact that you ignore the fact that we have these amazing therapeutics if you do get COVID, then you're sort of doing kind of the same thing, right? Like you're choosing which side to emphasize. And I get it, like everyone should get vaccinated. Um, I believe that, like, but at the same time, any sort of critical thinking person, I believe would be like, the therapeutics are an incredible um, part of, of why we're in a much better position this time. I think he brings up, a, Brian brings up a very good point, which is, you know, there are people who have gotten the vaccine, but they're like, the fact that prominent democratic politicians are ignoring natural immunity altogether that it doesn't mm -hmm. seem like the scientific community is looking at that. When you've seen studies now that show that the greatest protection you have is if you had COVID and you have the vaccine, you are the most protected. Natural immunity plays a role in that. And I think um, if you're a one trick pony and all you're talking about is vaccines all the time, people see through that. Like, well, there's ultimate, there's a lot of reasons we're in a better place than we were in March, 2020. Um, and, you know, part of it is that people still have toilet paper supply from a year and a half ago. So everyone is good on that front. But ultimately, beyond that, when it comes to serious issues related to the vaccine, related to how doctors have learned to care for the patients, when it comes to knowing which age groups are most affected, when it comes to like how vaccinated we are, when it comes to all of the above, how many people have natural immunity. I'm looking at all of you in Florida right now, because that's what you guys do in Florida is natural immunity. That's what you believe in. And so, yeah. um, I mean, that in part partially in jest, but ultimately... Democrats do themselves a disservice by being one message, and it reinforces the conspiracy theories, Alex, to your initial question that Fox has, which is like, 
this new variant is just another reason to get us vaccinated because they're only talking about that. So yeah, it yeah. all works in concert. And then you have the Moderna, the Moderna CEO comes out and is like, oh, I don't know if the the, the vaccines are going to do it. We might have to do another one. It's like, oh, gee, that's 20 bucks times 3 billion. Okay. You also have this echo chamber of Fox says this uh, thing about the Democrats and that they invented it. There's some elements of truth in the fact that if you're fear mongering around it, you know, but they're doing it in jest, right? They're doing it like they're tongue in cheek saying like, oh, it might be that. But then I, you see the coverage of that like clip on all of the other networks uh, making it like they're talking true conspiracy theory. It It is a conspiracy theory, but it's also like they're really just saying a joke. And so there is that element of this reaction of the reaction, and it just feeds into that dual narrative. Everything CNN says, Fox takes literally. Everything Fox says, CNN takes literally. In some yeah. cases, you might have hyperbole or sarcasm or whatever. But at this point, there's such art nemesis. And by the way, everyone on the left, you know, thinks that Fox is the devil. Everyone on the right thinks CNN is the devil. And so anything they say, even if it's meant in chest, even if it's a side remark, even if it's a guest, and they're like, Fox News, get, you know, uh, correspondence that it was like, no, that was a random guest they had on. Like it, it all, if it reinforces your mm -hmm. impressions of those networks in advance, you know, it only continues to separate us. And so it only makes, I think w this is probably the only country in the world that COVID is as politicized as it is. Yeah. It's that fake narrative. Uh, Mosh, before, before we move on the Chris Cuomo thing, what do you, mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on that? I gotta be honest, you know, I would, I'm, I think CNN has made the right call in suspending him, um, you know, that he used their journalistic resources um, to uh, help his brother um, quiet and shut down accusers on so many levels. There's, you know, le uh, how unethical that is um, as a journalist, um, you know, generally speaking, it breaks, it must break a bunch of rules that you have to abide by internally at CNN in terms of codes of ethics and standards. I think if Chris Cuomo had to do it over again, given how close he was, I mean, it's his brother, so you can understand why he wants to help save his brother's career. He needed to, I don't know, take a sabbatical from CNN completely. I know yeah. he took a sabbatical from covering the subject, but in retrospect, you know, given how prominent that story was, like maybe it would have been a good idea for him to leave completely. But I think CNN's made the right call. Um, I'm actually surprised it's taken this long um, to get through this, CNN's kind of um, glossed over a variety of Chris Cuomo scandals over the course of the past year. And we look at his ratings, it's like, is he really blowing out for them? Is he worth this stress and drama for them? No, mm -hmm. probably not. Yeah. It kind of goes back to that broader critique of a lot of these networks just becoming fully personality driven, right? Where they can't lose these, like, Tucker Carlson has sort of got, gone off the rails. Uh, with all these conspiracy theories, but they kind of can't let their big personalities go. It kind of connects to the other thing because a lot of like news organizations, cable news, like they're they're part entertainment and part news. And like I think the the problem when you put the chocolate with the peanut butter is like it all gets mixed together, right? And so like I don't know if I would really even consider Chris Cuomo like a journalist. Like I know we don't have an accreditation process, but like he's just a celebrity personality guy. Like what is he? Re is he reporting on things? I mean, he's a guy you put well, in front of a TV camera. It's a challenge that you know. Listen, Fox was first with this whole we have news during the day and at night, 
and our personalities at night have applied different standards. I mean, you saw in the lawsuits, the election lawsuits last year, that Tucker Carlson's defense against the um, vote companies that have sued Fox for billions is like, well, nobody said, nobody takes what I say seriously. Uh, I say sarcastic things like, you know, <laughs> I'm an entertainer. Like that was, that was his defense is that like, Working at yeah. Fox News, like people shouldn't take him literally. He's just saying stuff. But it's also it's also reminiscent of how like you know the reporters for the Wall Street Journal have to like you know spend like a good portion of every day of their lives saying no, the opinion page is different from the news page. And it's like at some point, and they won't do it because it's a cash cow. They've got a brand problem because they're mixing this chocolate of peanut butter and it's confusing the hell out of people and it's denting their credibility. But in the short term, that's where the profits are. Well, I, for one, love chocolate peanut butter ice cream. So that mix to me sounds delicious. But um, I will say... Yeah, I need a new metaphor. <laughs> well, I always... I liked a different food metaphor, Brian. I typically said that, like, the dessert was opinion programming and, like, your vegetables and proteins were came during the day. So it's like uh, mixing okay. your salad with your dessert. If we're going to play with... I, I don't know, Alex, if you have a preference of food metaphors <laughs> when it comes to news and opinion programming. I think yours is pretty accurate. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on, the Twitter founder, CEO, Jack Dorsey, resigned this week. He tweeted out a short caption of a long email and was like, uh, I don't know if you heard, but I quit. He kind <laughs> of like... he talks. I don't know, but it kind of felt like he's like a teenager would resign, like a guy who dresses like this. There's been a long history of founders stepping aside and letting the suits run the company. But the past few decades, we've glorified this founder-led companies, right? We have Facebook, Tesla, Amazon. Dorsey left with this message, though. Ultimately, I believe that's severely limiting and a single point of failure. I've worked hard to ensure this company can break away. Brian, do you think he's saying that because he believes it or it's just like what the investors want to hear that the company can go on without him? Yeah, I mean, he wants to go all crypto, so I can't blame him. Um, no, I mean, I think that there is this like trend that that might be ending with Silicon Valley and the founder fetishization. And a lot of that is like kind of nuts and bolts. Like, the, you know, we've we're, we've had this long um We've had this long period of easy money and stuff, and there's been too much money chasing too few opportunities. And so in Silicon Valley, like um, this idea that the, the founders were gods and stuff like this was really a way for like Andreessen Horowitz to, to have their money be preferable to other people's money. Because when they were like, hey, founders are the best and stuff, what they were saying is, we'll let you cut deals that are basically give you rights that other shareholders don't have. And so all the founders got preferential shares and preferential treatment. And there is instances where that really worked because they were the stewards and stuff. That also was what was happening at Theranos. That was also what was happening at WeWork. There are a lot of downsides to um, having founders have complete control. Why does that help the VCs? Because the VCs are more aligned with the founders because they were the people who helped build yeah, them? Yeah, they're saying, well, they're saying that the VCs are saying they're competing with other VCs and they're like, we're mm -hmm. more founder friendly. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, yeah. which means we're going to cut sweetheart deals for you to keep more control and power than you really should if you want to go public. Because when you go public, you're giving up control. You're selling control of the company. But I guess they could have their dessert and and their vegetables with um with these kind of sweetheart deals. And I think it it's running to an end. I mean, you look at Facebook and it's under an iron grip of Mark Zuckerberg. He controls the entire board. Do you think Peter Thiel is is holding him accountable? 
Yeah. For, and for a little background for the audience, the, the idea of the founder-led company being better is sort of that the founder is like completely invested. Most of his savings or her savings is, uh, is invested in the company. Their blood, sweat, and tears are invested in the company. So you can really see them change and try to do what's best for the company. That's kind of like the, the theory. But it's what, also, what it's you? mythology. It's mythology yeah. that goes back to Steve Jobs. And like everything, like very few, if any, people should ever act like Steve Jobs. Like he was a psychopath. <laughs> you also had like Elizabeth Holmes who literally dressed like Steve Jobs, right? Yeah. At Theranos. <laughs> and in the Dorsey example that we're talking about, there's an interesting parallel there because Dorsey founds Twitter, right? Then he's, a, you know, effectively pushed out, if you will. Then he comes back a la Steve Jobs in 2015. But Dorsey's also had like these past five years at Twitter, like, dealing with like Trump's Twitter account alone, dealing with like folks on the right saying he's censoring while people on the left saying he should censor hate speech and like the morass that is Twitter. He's dealt with a lot of stuff there. And of course he had like the Elliott management was trying to push him out for a couple of years. Meanwhile, he's got Square, which is like the vast majority of the money that he's made is from Square. His other company, which is one of the reasons people at Twitter are like, dude, you don't have enough bandwidth to both run both of these, you know, publicly traded huge companies. And Square is dealing with its own challenges in that in that very um, competitive space. But it is interesting. I was just trying to do like a, a quick look at the like big tech companies, the near trillion dollar tech companies. And like, so Apple no longer has a founder, right? Um, Sergey and Larry are gone at Alphabet Google. Bezos has is, is moved on from day to day at Amazon. So you're really left now with Dorsey's departure with like Zuckerberg at, at I guess now Meta and Elon mm -hmm. over at Tesla. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what happens with the Netflix founders. So you're kind of, it's, it's interesting now, if you look at the kind of 10 biggest tech companies, half are still with their founders, half no longer have their founders. Yeah, and a lot of this is going back to the way, the, the way it always was. Like when Larry and Sergey like did not, uh, were moved aside, it was the old bring the adults in. The, in. Mm -hmm. And that was like the normal way of operating. But I think Facebook changed that to a large degree. Um, well, yeah. because they brought in Cheryl as the adult, but ultimately it's still, everything falls with Mark who like developed this in his dorm room to like, you know, rate girls on campus. And now it's like, you know, changing global elections and leading to genocide, but also, you know, half of Africa has their internet through Facebook. I mean, just like it's gargantuan what it's grown from, from his dorm room. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that's actually a good segue for the uh, next topic, saving local news. Biden's Build Back Better plan passed the House last week, but it still has opposition in the Senate, and it looks like it could include tax breaks for local news organizations of up to $1.7 billion. These are for the small news organizations, not New York Times, Wall Street Journal, CNN, etc., but mostly for small local newspapers. The mostly Republican opposition to the bill said it was just a money grab for liberal media to buy better coverage, right? I could see how that could happen. But actually, local news is a lot less biased than national news. They cover the stories that will affect you the most. And they're really the strongest force in keeping local politicians and businesses accountable. And they've taken a huge hit during the coronavirus pandemic with over 100 local newspapers shutting their doors. I doubt a government bailout will fix it, but because of the pandemic, we're also seeing an infodemic spreading across the country. Local news is disappearing. I know you've been following a lot of this, Mosh. What are your thoughts on this bill and just on local news in general? And when we talk about local news in this country, you know, we should describe it this way. There's actually 200 counties in America that don't have a newspaper anymore because of the collapse of local news. 
nearly more than 2,000 papers have shut down in the past 20 years. And that leaves local communities without, you know, a newspaper to uh, investigate corruption by local government, uh, deal with, you know, if a company's polluting in the neighborhood. Uh, those were issues covered by local news that, like, the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post are not covering, you know, local pollution in, you know, outside Moline, Illinois, right? Mm -hmm. You depending on your local paper to do that. In a number of cases, you might have local independent outlets that are trying to stay afloat right now. In a number of cases, you have like companies like Gannett uh, or, you know, uh, Nextar or these huge conglomerates, or in some cases, Alden Capital uh, that have, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Wall Street that has bought these up and it's kind of sucking them bone dry for whatever profits are left. So ultimately, yeah. some of this money, one of the criticisms is that some of this will go to like, you know, if me and you wanted to start a local paper somewhere to investigate corruption in the community, but it'll also go to companies like Gannett and Alden Capital, who also own local news outlets. So they'll have to, yeah. you know, they'll have to determine what to do with that. And they're and they're mostly owned by private equity, I think, in Gannett uh, case. And uh, Alden is a hedge fund and th that is really known for buying up companies, cutting costs and uh and and trying to optimize basically cutting jobs yeah i mean like the bottom line here is it's great that you know we're helping local news local news you know as your segue for facebook was accurate like the vast majority of advertising revenue now goes to google and facebook so local news outlets that used to get ads are no longer benefiting from that there's a very small slice of the pie still going to local news the vast majority are going to google and facebook because they get better analytics it's one of the things jeff bezos when he brought bought the washington post brought real advertising analytics to help build a new revenue stream at the Washington Post. Um, so this is really a bridge for these local news organizations that still don't have a sustainable model in many cases to survive. So if the government's helping them out, that's great. But ultimately, what happens when this money dries up if a lot of these organizations still can't find a way long term to survive and, and make a profit? Ultimately, the demise of local news, you can track to a number of places, but one is you know, the rise of the falling of classified ads, that if you look at the point when um, uh, classified ads were peak, it was like 2001 when you were still buying your textbooks and cars and homes from the newspaper and finding jobs in the newspaper. And then as the internet, you know, lit up, uh, that fell apart and that accounted sometimes for upwards of two thirds of revenue for local newspapers. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Mosh, about this being a bridge. If it's a bridge, great. But otherwise... Um... I'd be a little wary of this because the answer is not for government money. Like that's not the way for sustainable media businesses. What's the in, answer in this Brian? country? Well, I don't think there is an answer, <laughs> but like the idea that you're going to rely on government handouts and like a market economy is like not really a good one. And also, by the way, nothing comes for free. I learned that from my mom. And like it, ultimately when the politicians, the politicians are going to get involved then. I don't care how they say they're going to get it set up. It's going to be a mess if this thing does pass. And it's the same with benevolent billionaires like owning local news. That's not, that's not going to solve the problem. I mean, what's going to solve the problem is actually having workable business models. It's hard. Yeah. I mean, the, the government to certain extent in the U.S., like, you know, some goes to NPR, some goes to PBS, but then they depend on donations, right? The nonprofit model. And when you look at digital news these days, like there's the Substack model of some people trying to like, you know, figure that out via their own subscribers, right? The Athletic and Axios kind of figuring out some hybrid of advertising, subscription, branded content. You know, the last 20 years, we've all watched, you know, dozens of outlets 
try to figure out this new digital landscape and bring a profit. And when it comes to local news, they don't have the benefit of the, you know, national infrastructure and national advertising. It's like, if I want to open a newspaper in the aforementioned Moline, Illinois, then like, I need to find people interested in like funding that sort of thing. So I'm either depending on local subscribers or advertisers, but if advertisers found new ways to market their products that don't involve a, you know, a placement of a full page ad in my newspaper, um, you know, we, we have an issue. And so I think the big challenge for those who care about this issue and you respect the government for trying to help out is what is the long-term sustainable model? So of this 1.7 billion, I would love some to go to me, Brian and Alex oh, yeah. put together a uh, committee <laughs> to investigate a strategy manual to help these guys because ultimately this is just, you know, uh, giving it's a temporary fix and not a long-term yeah. solution. Yeah, maybe, the I, answer, maybe the answer is, is crypto. Let's use your Moline example. Think about like a DAO in which the community of Moline not only are like subscribers, but they're like members and they have like an actual stake in the, um, in the success of the Moline record or whatever it ends up being called. Mm -hmm. like, that could be actually interesting, like a community owned. Like I would, that to me is much more interesting than like some sort of government program. I mean, I know it works in Europe and stuff, but the newspaper for the Quad Cities is called the Dispatch Argus. It uh, it covers Moline, East Moline, Rock Island, Davenport, and Bettendorf, Iowa. Okay, That's yeah, good. we'll there approach we them. We'll approach like, them. Send, send like, us a DM. I like Arguses. Yeah, it's an Argus, and and ultimately, I think the model Brian you're describing is not altogether different from the Green Bay Packers, who sell yeah. a share of the Green Bay Packers to all Packers fans every couple of years. Mm-hmm. Well, because the thing has always been that a lot of these companies that move in that say we're going to save local news, and I've actually talked to a lot of these are basically trying to do the on the entertainment on the more lucrative side. If you can be the place to go for entertainment, you can get it's a great ad model. But then there's nobody actually there's no model for actually covering the important things and, you know, covering the town meetings and the legisl state legislatures. Uh, unless it has to do with some national issue. I, I mean, and by the way, as these local and national organizations get desperate for viewers, it leads us to the first topic of our conversation today. These like Omnigron gonna kill us all question mark stories, which will lead people to click on the story and only diminish trust. And so it's this kind of self-fulfilling cycle that, uh, you know, is 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 only hurting everybody. I'd love to just ask you guys, what should we be keep our eyes open for for next week? What are you watching, Emosh? Um, well, my eyes are actually up in the sky because I understand that a couple asteroids are going to pass near Earth next week. If um, not too far, only a couple, I mean, within our orbit, but a couple million miles away, but like, you know, 10 times the distance to the moon, but you'll be able to see them in the sky. Um, I only bring that up because I was researching, when I was researching the headlines, um, uh, related to Omnicon, and I thought that more egregious than those were the <laughs> asteroid may hit Earth next week. Uh, you know, NASA scared, and you, you actually read to the eighth paragraph, and it's like it's actually going to pass 4.2 million miles away from us. Yeah, close wow. call. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Brian, I'm gonna. Be, I mean, it's not very original, but like I, I admit that I will be, I'll be focused on Omicron because it has such big implications for next year like if we get like pulled back into um i we're not doing lockdowns in, in in the united states i don't think but if we get pulled back into like travel restrictions and and everything else it's gonna be 
you know, it's going to slow the recovery, but it might help with inflation, which is another conspiracy, but. Well, and yeah. by the way, that build back better plan is uh, there's a bunch of concern. That's another thing to watch next week is if that passes, um, because there's a major concern on wall street that another $2 trillion of government spending will only, uh, make the inflation issue worse. Also next week, uh, it looks like Buzzfeed should go potentially go, go public. And so a lot of, uh, digital media investors and people in the media industry will be watching that, uh, that IPO, if it happens through the SPAC to see kind of what the valuations are for these, uh, digital media companies that also want to go public through SPAC or. Uh, raise money. We'll end it here. Thanks so much to Moshe. Follow him at Moshe with an H. We'll put it down there uh, on Instagram. One of the best accounts to follow for news. Also, Brian, thanks for joining us again. You can find him at B Morrissey at B Morrissey, but just subscribe to his newsletter, The Rebooting. He also just launched an amazing podcast talking about how to build sustainable media businesses. We'll be back the week after next. We're going to take a week for some planning, and I'll see you in two weeks.